you are more than just a paycheck. A lot of times we get caught up with just providing for our families and we think that's okay. You know, they say that the curse of fatherhood is distance. Why is it so many men think that they have to be distance, whether distance or actually mentally or emotionally or physically distant, right? Right. And I think that plagues a lot of us. Every man I've ever talked to goes through something like that to where they're like, man, I don't know how to open up. I don't know how to reach out to my kids. I don't know how to reach out to my wife. Because you really think about it, it all ties back into our children and being that leader, right? The way we treat our wives, our daughters are going to see that and they're going to want to try to find a man that treats their mother the same way because they think that's okay. Hey guys, this episode is sponsored by Tranquil Turtle Massage. Tracy over there, the founder, she's a small town girl from Montana, loves God, loves her family, loves her friends, loves working out, fishing and camping. She has a passion for helping those in need and enjoys being creative with woodworking, crocheting, healthy baking, pottery and cooking. Look, she began her massage journey back in 2010 where she graduated from massage school up in Anchorage, Alaska. She specializes in her signature signature massages, the Hanu Infusion and the Hanu Ashiatsu, as well as the Gua Sha and Manual Lymphatic Drainage. If you're looking for a massage specialist and someone who could get you feeling good, go see Tracy down at Tranquil Turtle Massage. And while you're there, check out CDA Microblading, offering Coeur best tattoo brows, plasma fibroblast, tightening, and PMU services right there in the heart of downtown Coeur Make sure you book your appointment at pnwmobilemassage.com. David, you're a husband, you're a dad, speaker, you're also CEO and founder of the Show Up Dad Foundation, a podcast, which is a ministry that encourages dads to become more than just a paycheck and much more, man. Thank you for your time, dude. I appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Thank you for having me on, dude. Um, I appreciate you and all that you're doing. You're an inspiring brother. So I like being around guys like that help us to elevate to the next level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, it's so important to have a good tribe, man. I appreciate it. You know, and I love to kick things off on my show by going back a bit. Like, where did you grow up? What was childhood like for you? Well, childhood for me was growing up pretty rambunctious. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. For okay. all those that don't know where that's at, it, it is part of the United States. <laughs> I, I get that a lot, you know. Um, I grew up in the mountains over there, a real small town, um, 7,000 feet in elevation. So, you know, we're definitely higher than Denver and stuff like that. Um, so we grew up in the mountains just, you know, hiking, fishing, hunting, all the stuff that, you know, I think a, a boy should endure and, and have to go through, you know, yep. my father was very, very adamant about that. Um, and it was a, it was a rough childhood. You know what I mean? I, I got to give it that, you know what I mean? It was, it was rough in its, in its own sense. You know mm. Yeah. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I really, really liked the outdoors. So let me tie it back to this, right, Eric? Okay. My father liked to travel. Every summer, that's what he did. He traveled us. We went to uh, Yosemite. We went to Mount Rushmore. I mean, we went all over the place, right? That was his idea. That was his gift to us. Okay? Yeah. So one of the places I really enjoyed was Yosemite, California. And I just remember being out there hiking and, and, and just uh, watching the rock climbers climb half dome and stuff like that. And I really thought to myself, man, what a great job. And we had at the time I was like probably seven or eight, Eric. And we had this really, really beautiful young. Uh, she was a, a ranger that was guiding us. Right. She was a guide. Yeah. And, um, you know, a little kid. I got a crush on her. And sure. I, I 
thought she was so amazing and she, she was just like you know just flirting with a little kid you know what I mean like man you can do it and it's really encouraging me and just showing us the pine cones and stuff like that I remember the pine cones were huge you know what I mean from uh, yeah. you know that that area for the redwood forest and stuff like that and I really thought her job was amazing so I wanted to do that okay okay somehow somewhere along the lines i lost that dream as a little boy you know Mm -hmm. life happens you know so i had a traumatic incident that kind of changed everything for me Mm. um if you want me to get into that i will you know yeah please man Um, if you're open to it yeah i'd love to hear yeah absolutely so what happened when i was 13 years old i was a victim of violent crime i was stabbed by a 21 year old man oh my gosh on campus okay Actually, I think I was 14. Okay. It was the first day of school. I remember it was in high school. And I remember walking with this girl down the stairs. She was like my little girlfriend at the time. And there's this guy there who didn't belong there. And he was doing whatever he was doing. You know what I mean? And I kind of looked at him and he looked at the girl I was with and he kind of was like, what's up? And I looked at him I was like, what a punk, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, he heard me say that and needless to say, he started off and started running his mouth at me and telling me, Hey, little man, you know, I'm going to, you know, who do you think you are? And blah, 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 you know? And one of the guys who I used to box with, right. He turns around and looks at me. He's like, don't let him talk to you like that, bro. You know, kick his butt pretty much. Yeah. So that kind of gave me encouragement to be like, all right, you know, stand up for myself, you know? So I turned around, I looked at this guy. I was like, all right, let's go to the dirt then. Now, where we went to school in this high school, it had three level tiers of, of, of concrete, right? So you'd go from one level to the next level to the next level. So the dirt level was the last level, okay? And that's where I would, everybody would go to fight. They'd be like, all right, go, let's go to the dirt. Yeah. So I was like, let's go to the dirt, dude. So on our way down there, it's just me and him, we're walking. He's kind of talking to me and telling me, hey, man, how old are you? I, I'm 21 years old. He tells me, he's like, I'm not even supposed to be here. You know, I don't want to fight with you. Let's squash this. And I didn't want to fight either. I was young. I mean, this is an adult. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I look at him like, all right, all right. It's cool. We shook hands. That was the Monday, Eric. Okay. Come Wednesday, he shows up again. Okay. This time after school, I'm walking to my vehicle to get my permission slip because, you know, it's in the fall. And you have to have your permission slip saying that you can, that you've had a physical to be able to play football. Right. Yeah. So I was going to the vehicle to get that. He just happened to, our pass happened to cross when he showed up. Okay. I see him and immediately my heart drops. I'm like, Oh my God. And you know, and I see him, he's hanging out of the car. He has his hands up. He's like, Oh, what's up, dude. What's going on? You know, you want to run your mouth. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm going to get smashed. Yeah. So needless to say, I, I make it to my truck real quick. He jumps out of the car. All kinds of homies start getting out of this vehicle, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get jumped. And uh, the guys get out, and I kind of noticed one of the dudes that was with them. And this guy was a straight G. I mean, this guy is, you know, just straight up from Brooklyn, New York. You know, he was he boxed, too. So that's how I knew him. Yeah. And the guy looks at me, and I don't want to say his name, but he's like, oh, Hey, what's up, dude? He's like, oh, oh, man, you're a fool. He tells that guy who stabbed me. He's like, you're a fool. He's like, oh, you don't know this dude? He's like, he's one of my homies. He boxes with us. He lives in your same neighborhood. So that guy got pissed, right? He got he got PO'd. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, what? He's like, yeah, you don't know little Cisco. That's what they used to call me, Cisco, okay? 
He's like, you don't know little Cisco? He's like, oh, dude lives like two two blocks from me, man. He's like, what's up? And he comes up to me and gives me a hug. And he, I, I, immediately I felt better. I was like, all right, I'm not going to get jumped. Yeah. Guy didn't like that. The guy got absolutely upset and he swung at me. All right. So when he swung at me, automatically I went into defense mode. I ducked and I hit him with the straight right, dumped him. He came down to the ground. I got on top of him, started hitting him. One of the other homies I was with them grabbed me, a friend of mine, grabbed me and tackled me up against the car. And he's like, that's it. It's over. It's over, Cisco. We're, it's done. You know what I mean? Just stop. You guys shouldn't be fighting. Well, when he did that, that guy got up and he came to hit me. And when he hit me, it felt weird. And it made a weird noise. And uh, I remember steam coming up because it was in the fall. And I was wearing a black shirt and I saw steam and I was like, what the heck? So I lifted up my shirt, dude. He stuck me with a knife. What? Right in the abdomen. He stabbed me in the, in the abdomen. And when I'm looking with, you know, lifting up my shirt, he stabbed me again. So he got me twice. Whoa. He wasn't messing around, dude. So I went immediately behind the cars to get away from him to create distance. Yeah. And when I did that, I, I used to carry a baseball bat in the back of my truck, a little aluminum bat, you know? Yep. So I reached back there and I grabbed that and I started like defending myself because he was coming after me again. He was circling around to, to I guess, finish me up. I guess my assumption, you know what I'm saying? He sure. already stuck me twice. So, you know, what it was like to assume, you know what I mean? The guy wasn't playing around. So I immediately started swinging the back, trying to create that distance, trying to get him away from me. And I remember hitting him a good one, you know, and uh, he was starting to come closer and closer. And I saw the coach and a couple of football players from the top where uh, the upper deck, Yep. they're looking to see what was going on. And they started coming down. He saw them. And then we had a police, uh, a campus police guy. He was, saw what was going on. He started showing up. He starts chasing this dude. This guy makes a beeline to take off, right? So as he's running, they're, they're looking for him. They're looking for him all over the campus. I'm trying to walk up the stairs to the nurse's office. And I just saw black. Whoa. I immediately just fell down. I lost all kinds of blood. I remember the football team picking me up, a couple guys, you know, and they're like trying to get me to the nurses. That's dead weight, you know. So yeah. they're having a hard time getting me up there. And um, I remember being in the nurse's office waiting for the ambulance. And the pain that I felt was excruciating because mm. all the blood had leaked out and got in between my skin, my dermis. So it was starting to puddle in my back. Oh, gosh. Oh, dude, and it felt like somebody had stabbed me in the back. And I remember the, the ambulance, when they showed up, they're like, you need to calm down. Are you on something? Are you on something? Because I was freaking out, dude. Sure. My adrenaline was pumping, all kinds of stuff, you know. So that went on, and uh, we had to go through courts and stuff like that because this guy, you know, I was a minor, and this guy was an adult. So he got tried as an adult, and he actually went to prison Wow. because of that. But I remember during that time – I was very popular at, up until that point, right? Mm -hmm. And then when that happened, I remember half the, because the, it was such a small community that we lived in, half the community was separated. They're like, okay, this guy's a rat because he's going to go to court. And the other community is like, good for you for standing up. So I got caught in that middle. So yeah. I would have my name spray painted all over the walls and stuff like that, saying you're going to die, 187, yada, yada, all kinds of stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm just a little dude. I'm just a kid. You know what I mean? So I can't even imagine what my parents are going through. Sure. You know, I had a, wow. a couple of times where this guy's crew would pull out guns on me. I remember I had him pull up, one of his friends pulled out a gun on me and my mom when she was driving me home from high school. 
Whoa. He put, he put a gun to my face. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. So kind of changed my whole trajectory. I started yeah. to really hate people at that moment. Mm. I didn't know who to trust. Yeah. Um, I didn't think at the time you don't really rationalize what's going on. So I, I built this animosity towards my father because I felt that my father didn't do enough to protect me. Mm. Gotcha. Man, what a crazy story, dude. A crazy start to your life right there, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable, dude. I've had I've had a gun pointed in my face twice, and it's scary as hell, man. And you never know it could have pulled the trigger, it could have been over, right? You know, but I mean, they actually get stabbed, like nobody. That's crazy, man. You know, I mean, you, so you graduate high school and then I don't know what the time frame is, but you end up going to be a lineman. I'm totally afraid of heights. Uh, uh, you know, there's, unless there's water underneath me, I feel comfortable, like cliff jumping, bridge jumping, no problem. But if there's no water, I'm scared as hell, man. You know, like, <laughs> but how did you get started in that, man? What are you doing in that industry right now? Okay. So how I got started in that was, um, I actually went to the military. Okay. So awesome. thank you for back, your service, man. Oh yeah, Absolutely. I went to the military because, you know, tie that back in, I, I started hating people. I didn't know how to defend myself. So I felt go to the military, learn how to defend yourself. Right. Yeah. So I went to the military. I was a combat medic and uh, I went through all that program. I got out. I didn't know what to do. Like a lot of people, you know, the economy was good and stuff like that. So I decided to follow the steps of some of the people I looked up to in the military and they had all gotten a degree in computer networking. Okay. So I went to school for that got a degree in computer networking. Okay. At that time I met my wife and I wasn't be able to make, make ends meet, you know what I'm saying? To what I wanted for my life. Yep. So I remember running into my younger brother. Okay. He's a, my whole family are linemen. Okay. So I ran into my younger brother and I owed him some money and he got out of this line truck and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, here's this big old four wheel drive bucket, you know, he gets out with his line boots you know, he's got a, a big old chew in his mouth, you know, cowboy hat on, and he's just all tatted up and stuff. And he gets out and he's like, oh, what's up? You know, and I'm like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a lineman. I'm like, lineman, like, like football? What? And he's like, no, man. He's like, oh, go ask your cousin. We're, we're lineman. Your whole family's lineman. You need to really look into this. Yeah. So that's how I got started. I started looking into it. I'm like, how is this guy who, you know, and I'm not putting down my brother. You know what I mean? He didn't do good in school. You know, I was like, but this guy's making over 100K. I get nothing. And that was a long time ago. That was, over, that was like 20 years ago. Yeah. So I was like, how is he doing that? And I have a degree and I can't even barely make ends meet. You know what sure. I'm saying? Yep. So I went through the grueling process of the interviewing and stuff like that. And let me tell you, it wasn't easy to get in. It's not easy now, but our process from then to now has completely changed. Mm. When I got accepted to go and, and get asked to go into the program, I went into this dark room and there's a bunch of linemen sitting down. You couldn't really see their faces, but it was a dark room and all the light was shining on me. And you could tell they're big men. You could just see their hands. Yeah. You know, big old burly, freaking arthritic <laughs> hands, you know what I mean? Just looking at you real quiet. And uh, I remember seeing a couple of uh, cups with spit, you know, where they're chewing and stuff like that. And like, so why do you want to be a lineman? And, you know, I started giving my spew. I want to. I want to, you know, make a difference. I want to better, better my life. You know, I want to have a better, uh, you know, uh, start for my family, all this stuff that we normally hear, you know? Yep. And they're like, okay, so why do you really want to be a lineman? I was like, the money, you know, and they're like, okay, well, the money will come. Have you ever dug a ditch? I was like, yeah. They're like, have you ever, uh, you know, um, 
picked up bales. I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, have you ever built a fence? And I was like, yeah, I used to stretch fences with my dad on the ranch all the time. He's like, okay, we're going to teach you how to aerial fence. And that was it, man. Next thing you know, I'm getting a call a year later. And they're like, hey, you got to show up here. And I'm like, do I get a company vehicle? And they're like, do you want the job or not? Show up here on your own accord. You know what I mean? You better have tools. You know, that was the type of it. I was like, whoa. You know, and that, was, that was the start of my career in this industry. So, Come on, man. Uh, well, as I was doing some research on you, like you've been married yeah. for 16 plus years. You have three awesome kids. But in 2018, you had a really scary moment with your wife, man. Walk me through what happened. What's going through your mind in this moment, dude? Well, um, by that time, I had already transitioned from apprenticeship to, to being a journeyman lineman. Um, I had uh, hired onto a job, which I thought was the pinnacle of my career. Okay. I had settled like a lot of men do. Okay? Sure. And when I had settled, I started dying. Okay. I started working at a utility and it wasn't challenging me. Um, there was a lot of changes that were happening and inside I was dying. So I was very upset. I was very angry. I think that was probably one of the most angriest times of my life, dude, honestly. Mm. And, uh, my wife didn't like who I was becoming there. You know what I mean? So needless to say, I got in some trouble there and I got fired. Okay. So I got fired at, from that utility and immediately I went into victim mentality. Everybody's doing it. Why am I getting fired? Everybody's, you know what I mean? And there was, there was like 26 firings at the time. Wow. It was a big deal. Wow. So we got banned. Anybody got fired from that utility got banned from property. So when they say banned from property, that means you cannot touch a power line pole in that state. Whoa. So when okay. this is a monopoly, you pretty much are done working in your state. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So, Automatically, I have to go on the road again as a traveling yellow ticket card carrying journeyman lineman. I can go anywhere. So I started working in different states and stuff like that. And I had been on the road for three years already at that point, coming to 2018. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember coming home and uh, my wife, she had been pleading with me. I can't do this anymore. This is getting too hard. I can't take care of all the kids, the farm. I had... 300 chickens, five dogs, three kids. And she was dealing with everything. Okay. Well, I was providing for us. Wow. Now with that being said, I came home finally for Christmas and, you know, it was a typical Christmas. I had two weeks off, you know, we Christmas Eve came about and we decided to spend time with my sister. And when we showed up, my wife wasn't doing really good. She was complaining that she couldn't feel her legs. She felt really cold and stuff like that. Me coming from a perfection style home, a perfectionist style home, I didn't want to show that anything was wrong. So I kept on telling her, you know what, what's wrong with you? Don't, don't do this. My parents are here. I don't want them to see that we're fighting, yada, yada. Right. Mm. So my mom noticed and my mom's like, something's wrong with your wife. You need to take her to the emergency room. Something's not right. You know, cause she couldn't feel her legs. So we took her to the emergency room and needless to say they ran all kinds of tests on her they couldn't find anything and the nurses were like you guys just need to go you know go spend time with the family we can't find anything if you feel bad come back tomorrow so that's what we did we went home spent uh, christmas eve with our family um christmas day my wife made christmas dinner i'm over there playing with the kids stuff like that and she comes out of the back room frantic she's like something's wrong i gotta go to the emergency room I'm like, the kid just had a shower. They're already in their PJs. What do you want me to do? And she's like, I'll go. Just, I'll, I'll go. Just stay with the kids. So she went. She called me. She let me know she was okay. I get a call like at two in the morning, dude, from the nurse saying that they ha- they're they intubating her. 
that her heart had stopped. What? Yeah. So I got three kids in the bed with me. I'm getting this call. And now my heart just sinks. Mm. And I start getting all these different thoughts. And maybe it's from a selfish point of view, you know, because I started asking myself, I'm like, man, what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of these kids? How am I going to go back to work? And then it hit me. What about your wife? Your wife, is your wife okay? And then I just started feeling like really horrible, you know? Yeah. So that happened. And uh, we've been struggling with it ever since. You know, she was uh, diagnosed with Lyme disease. Okay. Okay. The, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on with her. We tried everything um, uh, at the risk of trying to tell her side of the story. You know what I mean? Cause she, she has her own version. Sure. But what I saw, I remember her telling me that laying down in bed, cause I used to watch her to make sure she was okay. And uh, I remember she was laying down in bed and I remember her praying. She'd pray that God would just take her because she mm. was in so much pain. And uh, I remember her telling me that, um, while she was praying that she kept on hearing this, this voice saying line, line, line. And that's not known to us over in New Mexico. We live in the desert. I mean, there's, I mean, there's that Lyme disease isn't prevalent over there. Right. Or so. So when she finally asked the doctor, well, can you just test me for Lyme? The doctor was like, you know, we tested you for everything. What's it going to hurt? Immediately. We got a phone call. The very next week, Monday, by the CDC saying, hey, you tested positive for Lyme disease. You need to come in and we need to start doing extensive treatment on you. You know, So that's what we've been battling with. That's kind of what spawned this whole uh, 5013C that we have. You know, just that realization of me being home and just seeing how shitty of a father, how shitty of a, of a husband I had become. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I started treating my family as an object. You know what I mean? Instead of treating them with love and, and respect and all these different things that a father is supposed to do. You know what I mean? And that that's our whole motto with the show up dad is to let fathers like me who think we're doing a great job by working and everything else to let them know that, hey, you are more than just a paycheck. Yes. Families, you know, man, I love that. And, and I love this foundation you've got. Right. Like I said, you're the CEO founder of the show up dad foundation. But I mean, for those who don't know, what is the purpose and the mission of the Show Up Dad Foundation? And, and if folks want to get involved with that, how can they do that? Okay, the purpose for the foundation is just to find your inner man purpose, okay? Mm-hmm. That is to help you realize that you are more than just a paycheck. A lot of times we get caught up with just providing for our families and we think that's okay. Yeah. You know, they say that the curse of fatherhood is distance. Why is it so many men think that they have to be distance, whether distance or actually mentally or emotionally or physically distant, right? Right. And I think that plagues a lot of us. Every man I've ever talked to goes through something like that to where they're like, man, I don't know how to open up. I don't know how to reach out to my kids. I don't know how to reach out to my wife. Because you really think about it, it all ties back into our children and being that leader, right? The way we treat our wives, our daughters are going to see that and they're going to want to try to find a man that treats their mother the same way because they think that's okay. Yep. You know what I mean? So that's how it all ties back into that. And that's what I'm trying to bring awareness to men through the, the, the podcast, through uh, teaming up with the National Father Initiative to where we have an actual program called the Fathering at 15, which is free on yep. our website. Okay. Um, you could also find us on Instagram. You know, we're really big on Instagram. Uh, you can find us on the Show Up Dad Foundation Incorporated. That's our website. Um, 
I'm really big on, on Facebook. I have a, a Facebook men's group called the Show Up That Foundation as well, where we have clips and I, I get guests like you and stuff like that on there to just encourage fathers to be better and have that awareness to ignite the fire for father engagement. I, I love it, man. And the content that is posted in that group, man, it's super encouraging as a dad and a husband, man. You know, and, and for those dads that are feeling lost and just like past this point of no return in a relationship with their kids, man, like what tips can you give them to try to get back on track or try to rebuild that relationship? I would like to tell the fathers out there that it's never too late. Okay. Mm-hmm. You are a father till the day they put you in the ground. Okay. Yep. So a bad moment necessarily isn't a, a, a bad a bad moment in your life isn't necessarily a bad life. So just keep that in mind and try not to be so hard on yourself. Okay. Try to just start doing little things because practice makes perfect, right? We were never born with this knowledge. A lot of times fathers tend to fall back to their family of origin and what they were taught. Yep. Okay. So when we come to a, a, and this is with anything in life, when we come to something that we are unsure of, we tend to fall back to what we know. Mm. right so what we're trying to do is give you options and that's even with our kids okay instead of telling your kids no you can't do this because i said so give them an option you know give them three options like instead of you know them fighting with you over brussels sprouts i'll say okay well here's brussels sprouts carrots and this and then set those boundaries you know what i mean give them that option so they think they're choosing because then that's going to help them right be able to make wise decisions for the future I think a lot of times the kids and that kids grow up and these young adults, they don't even know how to, to adult themselves. They, they, they really don't, they don't know how to make decisions. And I think it's because that decision was taken away from them. They're told, Hey, just do this, just do this. Let me do your test for you. I want you to get into a better school. And that handicaps kids so much. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, and so my dad was a pipe fitter for a long time. And, but I always grew up, my dad always said, Hey, if there's anything ever broken in your house, car, vehicle, whatever it is, pay people to do it. So Mm -hmm. I never learned how to change tires, change brakes, any of that stuff. I married my wife, her father, her grandfather, who was the guy who raised her and Mm -hmm. was a shop teacher for 30 years. And so when we started dating, he was like, you're coming over, you're going to learn how to change brakes. You're going to learn how to change, you know, spark plugs and do everything. And he taught me how to do all that. And I bought this, you know, geo Metro from him, dude. So it was easy for me to change the oil from him, you know, but it was so cool that like, I learned that in my, you know, late twenties, man, on how to actually do that. Um, and not my dad, he just, he just was like, Hey, you just do this, man, pay people to do it. And, you know, he had his own thing that he would go on that. We went on adventures. That was his thing. Right. But in regards to like teaching me how to actually fix and make stuff, we just didn't do that. You know, um, Man, but yeah, it's so true, man, that if you, you get into a situation where you're just, I don't know where you revert back and I've done that many, many years. And so we know all the tools in this house, it's, they're my wife's like all the <laughs> That's awesome. tech stuff in this house is mine, right? Like we, <laughs> we say her tools and his tech, man, that's kind of how we've done it, you know? <laughs> and that, you know what, Eric, that's a perfect example of having mentors in your life is you so, had your father to fall back on, right? Yep. Um, I grew up fishing and hunting. That's what my father taught me. He taught me how to chop wood. You know, yeah. I could fall a tree. I can cut wood with the best of them. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that helped me out. But when it came down to like mechanical aptitude and like working like that aspect of it, I didn't really know how. So when I went to the military, I didn't need that aspect because I was a medic. But when I got to the line trade, the guys are like, there's a proper way to use a crescent wrench. 
You know what I mean? And then I started learning because they're either going to throw my tools out in the middle of nowhere or whatever. You know what I mean? So I had to learn, but I surrounded myself with men who could teach me. Mm. And that's the beauty about stuff that you do. And like the stuff that we do is like, no one's born with this knowledge. Yep. Yeah. And surround yourself with people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Surround yourself. I always say surround yourself with the people that are living the life that you want to live, man. You know, and those, those guys that are, that can be good mentors for you. And part of the way that you do that is through your podcast. It's an amazing podcast. People Thank need you. to join in, you know, listening to that show there. Uh, but what was the inspiration behind starting this podcast? I mean, obviously it's, it's about um, dads and faith and things like that. And your own personal experiences. I've been lucky enough to be a guest on that show, but what was the drive? Like, why did you decide that you wanted to start a podcast? I, I always felt that something was inside of me. Um, I've been running away. From, you know, you talked about faith. Okay. I'm a yeah. believer. I've been a believer for 16 years. Come on. Um, God's, you know, all glory to him, you know, yes. Um, for seven years, he was chasing after me. Um, it all started with me reading the book called point man by Steve Farrar. Okay. Great book. Okay. I read that while I was working in Texas in the oil patch. Okay. And uh, I was building power line out there and I was going through some tough times. And uh, I remember reading that and then I put it down and I never picked it up again. And it was always in the back of my head. And it was like, if God was always trying to get a hold of me to tell me, Hey, I got something for you. Now I wasn't walking in my calling at that time, but God's grace still carried me through. So I always had his grace as a child of God. You got to remember, you're going to have grace. Okay doesn't mean necessarily that you're walking where he needs you to be. Okay. So it wasn't until I stopped, I had to hit rock bottom and then I had to see, okay, God, I'm done doing it my way. I'm done kicking the goads. What do you want for me? And when I did that, that's when he started to reveal himself for who he is and what my calling was, which was to start this podcast. But when the Bible talks about he's a light into your feet, He's a light into your feet. He's not shining all the way. He's not going to give you the whole big picture because you can't handle it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) When he first started with this dude, it was so big, right? I couldn't even talk to you the way I'm talking to you right now because I'd start bawling. Mm. It was too big for me to handle. And I went to a couple of my mentor friends who are are all, uh, they're all Christians. They're all uh, uh, pastors, right? Yeah. And I would ask them, dude, I have something inside of me. It's make, uh, it's not. It's not, uh, it's not sadness, but it's emotion. And I can't even talk to talk about it. And he's like, sometimes there's a dream that God's put in your heart that you can't talk to because you're not ready yet. Mm -hmm. And I always kept that in the back of my head. You know what I mean? So once he started revealing to me what he wanted me to do, and it took me surrendering, that's how this stuff started progressing. We've barely been doing this podcast since January of, uh, of last year. Okay. Wow. So it's, took it off immensely. We've been on magazine cover, San Diego Voyager, uh, Powerline Magazine, which is a big article for power linemen. Um, we've been all over on, on television, some broadcasting, you know, it's just amazing the way God's moving, but it wasn't until I surrendered and I said, okay, God, what is it you want me to do? Mm. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. So true, man. And so good, dude. I, yeah. Same story. And, and, you know, we talked about that when I was on your show, man, that, that yeah. you just have to surrender and kind of give up that stuff, man. And I, I there was a, a verse that was talked about at our church a couple of weeks back when it hit home. And he's like, it said, come to God and he'll come to you. You mm-hmm. know? And, and when I heard that, I was like, man, I'm not doing that enough. 
I'm not and I'm I'm I've got these pea-sized dreams and I'm not putting enough at his feet, man, for these God-sized dreams, man. And so, oh man, it's so good, dude. I, I love to finish the show off by asking a fun question. And uh, I'm a big music guy, so I love to ask the question like, what's a favorite band for you or who do you like to listen to, man? <laughs> That's simple, brother. Uh I'm a Southern California guy. I've always loved it since I came out here 20 years. Mike Ness, he's been a big inspiration on me, social media. Yes. And the song that I always like, that always uh, resonates with me, is I Was Wrong. Okay. Yeah. Because for so long in my life, I would blame other people. I was always the victim, victim mentality, mm. right? Until I realized I was wrong. You yeah. Know? So I, I love that song. Uh, you know, if Mike Ness sees that, he's my freaking hero. You know what I mean? I, I, Come on. I think he does amazing stuff. You know what I mean? For sure, dude. Absolutely. Man, David, such an honor to have you on my show, man. You're an absolute world changer. I love what you got going on with your foundation. People need to be listening to your podcast. And look, dads that are listening to the show need to get on it right now, man. Thank you so much. Such an honor to have you on, brother. Yeah, once again, dude, thank you for coming on or for having me on here and just being a guest with you and just being able to share our story, dude. You're doing amazing things as well. And just thank you, brother. God bless you. Hey, thank oh, you thank so much you. for checking out the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to take a listen or watch. It's truly an honor to be able to speak with such amazing guests. And I hope that they've made an impact on your life in some way, shape, or form. And you can do me one big favor. That would be huge. Click that subscribe button. And then second favor, hit that share button. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate you. Keep changing the world. I believe in you.